Well, my brothers and sisters, every time, uh, every year at this time, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation uh, has this week. It's called a White Ribbon Against Pornography Week. And, uh, you know, I, I decided I think it'd be a good um, pastoral practice to speak about this sensitive topic uh, at least once a year, and this is, this is a good week to do it. The Catholic Daughters and Clyde are going to be passing out white ribbons uh, in, in conjunction with this week. Um, that word that I used, there's not a lot of young ears amongst us, but for the sake of the young ears, that will be the first and last time that you've, you hear me use that word in the homily here. So you know what the topic is about. I'm going to kind of use some circumlocutions and just speak about the topic in an indirect way so you know what I'm talking about. Last year, I spoke about this issue in connection to, because many people think, well, it's a chastity issue, and it is, it is, it is a chastity issue. Last year, though, I talked about how it's also, uh, it's also a social justice issue, because it has to do with exploitation of women and other vulnerable people. This year, today, I'd like to speak about it more in conjunction with uh, children, okay, and um, what I'd like to do is to encourage those grandparents and parents and uh, the people here who are responsible for young children to initiate, if you haven't already, initiate a dialogue, a conversation with your children uh, about this issue. It's very, very important. Um, the reason why it's so pressing now more than ever is because of technological advances, in particular the high-speed Internet. Okay, So this issue is now uh, really a kind of gigantic proportions in terms of problem for the nation, really for, for any kind of advanced uh, civilization that has Internet connection. Um, it's really a national health crisis. It's so uh, serious of an issue right now. And uh, many years ago, I, I probably would have said, well, you know, it's up to the parents' discretion, but I probably wouldn't want to speak with the kids until they're uh, 12, 13. Uh, now, uh, experts are recommending you speak with your children about this issue much, much younger, simply because of the Internet. I saw a survey um, a few years ago. Uh, well, let's first, let me ask this question to you. How early do you think young children are on the Internet and and surfing the web right now. What what age? Any? Five. Yes, exactly. Right. Four, five, six years old. Okay. So, you know, it's a it's a the thing is the parent wants to preempt any kind of accidental encounter that, uh, that the child might experience on the internet. Uh, you want the parent to be able to speak about this first before they encounter it themselves, okay? And they don't have any kind of way to, to make any sense out of it, okay? It can be very traumatic, uh, especially with the content that can be found within just a few clicks. Today is extremely serious and can be really traumatic for adults, much less for, for young children. Um, so I saw a survey a few years ago. It was taken in England. And um, the, the survey was interesting because it said it basically it was able to survey young children and then was able to survey adults. And it asked the young children, have you encountered accidentally, you know, this negative uh, experience on the Internet? Um, and uh, 65% of the young children surveyed said that they had. Now, when the survey asked the parents... How many, of, how many of you have children who have experienced this kind of negative encounter on the Internet? And uh, about 20%. Okay, so you see there's this gap between what the kids are actually experiencing and what the parents actually know 
about. Okay, so oftentimes we think, well, I really know my kid. Well, sometimes you know you'd be surprised that children are very because it's a it's a confusing and shameful kind of experience, and so they they're not talking about it. Okay, um, well. Today we look in our gospel, let me tie this into the gospel. We see in our gospel the healing of Bartimaeus, a blind man. Okay. Now, if you ask a lot of scholars, they say that if you put this passage from the gospel in its original context back in the first century A.D. when it was written, and you take account of the original audience, to the original audience, this would have had very strong baptismal overtones, okay? Because in the first century, baptism was known as, was, was very commonly called enlightenment, okay? Now, the eyes are a symbol of the mind. And for the ancient first century Christians, baptism was an enlightenment of the mind. It brought light to the mind because it was closely associated with catechetical instruction. Okay, so the word of truth that Jesus brought to us and that exists and that lives in the church is imparted in a special manner to the person who's baptized. And so it was known as enlightenment. You can find that, find that term used a number of times in the New Testament in connection with baptism. And uh, so this word of God that comes into our life enlightens our minds. Now, this vice or this bad habit, especially for people, uh, guys and, and sometimes gals, who really get hooked and addicted to this uh, you know, online activity, it's the, the fundamental thing that takes place is it's a blinding of the mind. Okay? It's a blinding of the intellect so that they can't reason properly and see the negative consequences of what's going on. So they often think, well, you know, it's harmless and, they have, and it's very easy to rationalize to yourself the harmlessness of this activity, okay? But it's actually a blindness, an intellectual, mental blindness that's being, um, that's kind of falling over the person. They're not seeing clearly the negative consequences of what's going on. What are the negative consequences? Well, as simple as this. Uh, nature has given us very intense you know, right in our biology, in our brain, these sort of reward centers, okay? Intense pleasure centers connected with the, the natural union of a man and a, a wife. And that is meant to bring these two people together to create other persons. And it's also a means by which the man and his wife become more mature persons, Okay. So you've got this intensely pleasurable activity, okay, and the thing is it's ordered towards the production of persons, of mature people who are able to grow up and basically get over their differences and learn how to solve their problems so that they can actually live together without killing each other, okay. And that ta so marriage is a people-producing machine as well as reproduction. It's a it's a people-producing machine in terms of the adults, in terms of the husband and the wife. Now, this online activity, because it doesn't deal with real people, it deals with images, with fantasy, what it does is it takes all those that intense kind of uh, biological wiring of the mind, these intense pleasure centers, and it disconnects all of that from its natural process of producing purses, persons, and it works the exact opposite, so that the person now... Uh, who's engaged in this starts to depersonalize others and regard them as an, as an object and not as a real person. 
okay, as a means to his or her pleasure. And they begin to relate to other people that way. They begin to relate to their spouse that way. They begin to relate to members of the opposite sex in general in that fashion. There's also an amazing process of isolation that takes place. Okay, And this happens at a number of levels. One of which is the person deep down has a certain kind of, because they understand a certain, uh, the, the higher part of themselves, their thinking self, Okay, their mind is being subjected to their instincts, and there's a kind of like their animal instincts are becoming the dominant factor in their in their psychology. There's a real uh, self hatred that starts to take place, and shame connected to this. They might rationalize it away and say it's no big deal, no big deal, but they really start to have a short fuse, and they don't want to get too close to people because they don't want them to find out about this habit because they know it's not socially approved. All right. And uh, so they can only get so deep in their relationships with others, okay? And there's this process of isolation. It becomes very, for those who are seriously addicted to it, it becomes time-absorbative. I mean, it just sucks up the time, energy, and all of this kind of stuff, mental focus. And it causes the person to really become disassociated with everybody else and become very lonely, so the irony of it all is that this nat- these natural biological wiring of a man and of a woman that's meant to actually bring people together and form communion and community and society and help us grow up and become persons is being used for the exact opposite process. And there's a mental blindness in all of this that takes place. And it usually, for the people who, are, who get in this and are become very, very addicted, it takes something cataclysmic for them to finally wake up and for them to realize this is a problem, I need help. Okay, so maybe their marriage starts to spiral out of control and breaks down. Maybe they even lose a job. Okay, things like that. Sometimes that's how sad it is. Is it takes something that strong and negative in their life for them to to, to get that um, wake up call. Uh, so my brothers and sisters, this kind of blindness is the exact opposite of the heritage of the sons of God. We as baptized members of the body of Christ, we have light. We are given light. That's, this is not our inheritance. This kind of blindness and hopelessness and loneliness and isolation, this is not what God has in store for us. We look at Bartimaeus. He was alone on the side of the road all by himself, crying out with no one to hear his voice. Jesus comes into his life, heals his blindness, restores him to communion with So at the end of his healing, he gets up and he follows and he joins this band of followers of Christ. And he comes into communion with other people and with Jesus and with God. How wonderful is that, my brothers and sisters? Now you ask uh, oftentimes uh, the people who get into this online activity and it alters their life. It it alters their life. And uh, sometimes you find out, you know, it happened, started when they were kids, Okay, so that's why it's so important to communicate with our kids. And I want to really encourage us to initiate a dialogue with children when they're very, very young. Okay, um, Because they can get involved in it, and by the time they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, they're hooked. Okay, And next thing you know, 30 years later, they look back on their whole life and they say, I dumped my entire life in the trash over this over this online activity. That's how bad it can get for an increasingly uh, large percentage of people in our, in our country. Um, 
I have uh, two books here that, are, that were produced by some people associated with the National Center on, on Sexual Exploitation. These books are really excellent. And so uh, you can contact me. I've ordered a number of this one in particular. And this is, this is for 7 through 12-year-olds. Uh, and this one's for even younger, okay? And uh, it's, this book here is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And it basically what it does is it helps the parent or the grandparent or the guardian initiate that conversation with the child. It's very, very tastefully done, uh, age-appropriate language, um, and it's got different mnemonic devices to help the kids remember what's their action plan. You know, So, for example, it teaches the kid that they should don't try to click off the website or something like that. You should just, if it's a laptop, you need to close it down. If it's a phone, you need to turn it around and shut it off. Okay, you got to just exit out. And then very, very important to go and speak with a, a trusted adult, hopefully your parent. Okay, and if you're, if you're too shy about that, you can write your parent a note and then they can initiate the conversation with you about what you experienced. And just the, that talking, you see, it's a beautiful thing because this whole process of this bad habit leads to social isolation. When the child then speaks to the adult, it's the opposite that's taking place. There's connection that's taking place. And the negative experience now becomes diffused. That's kind of power, the grip, the negative uh, memory in the mind becomes diffused when they're able to articulate and to speak. And they bring that their rational mind in connection with their feeling minds. And there's a kind of a wholeness and integrity that's restored when the child is able to speak about it with their, uh, with their parent or their guardian. So my brothers and sisters, in light of this wonderful inheritance that we have as baptized members of the body of Christ, those whose minds have been illumined and enlightened by God's grace and by his wisdom, uh, let's be wise, okay, let's be smart, and let's be use preventative medicine, okay, in regards to this young generation, and prevent entire lives being flushed down the toilet through these through this nasty, nasty addiction. And again, anybody that would like uh, one of these books, please contact me and I'll make sure that you get one.